From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Justin Higginbottom. This is your news for Thursday, September 29th. I'm standing outside a corral at the base of the LaSalle Mountains in southeastern Utah. Around here, you'll find plenty of horses, but the animal Naomi Wilson is showing me is special. Um, one of the first things you'd notice is the black-tipped ears and that they're a little curved. This horse is from what's known as the Sulphur Herd. Her and her husband have three sulphur horses now, and they've become somewhat experts. He's got the dorsal stripe down the back and the zebra stripes on the leg, and that's required for done. But another thing that the sulphurs have, although the stripes are pretty prominent, they also have the highlights, often in the tail. They do look different than the typical horse you find in the West. Their mane is bicolored, black mixed with a stylish blonde. They have one less vertebrae than normal domestic horses, so their backs are shorter. They look somehow more ancient, but their physical features, what horse experts call primitive markings, isn't the only thing that makes this breed so interesting. The sulfur herd is unique for several reasons. One, because of their bloodlines. Two, because of their primitive markings. And lastly, because of their story of how they got there, what I call the creation story. That's Wilson's husband, Stephen Schultz. He's the president of the Canyonlands Backcountry Horsemen. The still wild sulfur herd live on around 265,000 acres of land in a mountain range near the Utah and Nevada border. But as Schultz tells quite cinematically, they're a long way from home. The way they got there is an amazing story. In the, 1500s, the horses come from the Iberian Peninsula, where they roamed for tens of thousands of years, until the Spanish brought some to California in the 1500s as they colonized North America. It wasn't long before the Native Americans took notice of the animal. So in walks a very charismatic historic figure. His name was Wakira. I call him Utah's greatest horse thief. That chief was an important leader of Utah natives. He would later be baptized into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, then have a falling out with Mormon settlers, leading to what historians call the Walker War. But before all that, he wanted horses. In 1840, Wakira enlisted his half-brother, a one-legged mountain man named Pegleg Smith, I'm not making this up, and a bunch of Ute warriors to lead a raid to steal horses from the Spanish. By then, they were under the Mexican flag in California. According to historical accounts, the native band stole around 3,000 horses. That annoyed the Spanish, and they eventually sent soldiers to recover their stock. They fought a running battle with the horse thieves that ended near the Utah-Nevada border. The Spanish recovered some of their herd, but a group of horses was left unaccounted for in the high desert. That left a group of horses scattered to the four winds right in that location. That was the historic beginning of the sulfur herd. The breed became famous for being fiercely independent and difficult to tame. There was even a cowboy poem written about them called Zebra Dunn. You are listening to musician R.W. Hampton's rendition of that poem. From that point on, the horses basically ran free. The reason they eluded notice and uh, roundup was because they lived in a pinion juniper choked mountain range between six and 9,000 feet. That was, of course, until the invention of the helicopter. 
That sound is from a 2020 roundup by the Bureau of Land Management. To protect rangeland, the BLM is trying to bring down the sulfur herd to around 200 horses, maybe a fifth of what their herd once was. The agency rounds up the horses and sends them to facilities where they can be adopted to the public, which is how Schultz and Wilson got their sulfur herd horses. Wilson calls them high dignity. They're very sensitive, very smart, and being high dignity means they don't like being told what to do. People really kind of push horses around and expect them to just do, and with sulfur horses that does not work. They have to feel like they have a say in the matter. They have a choice. She says she argued for years with her first sulfur before she embraced more natural horsemanship methods, and that changed the whole relationship. While range managers are trying to reduce the number of this breed here, in Europe they're trying to protect them. Genetic tests show Schultz's sulfur horse is a Garano. Only a few hundred of that breed are left, free roaming at a national park in Portugal. Maybe I'm a bit of a romantic at heart, but these horses are a genetic treasure, and here they are in Utah. I mean, in Europe, they're just about extinct, but I guess these guys didn't get the memo. Ron Robidoux has researched the sulfur herd for over 30 years. He even wrote a book on their history, Trail of the Linebacked Horse, an Odyssey. He doesn't agree with how the BLM manages the sulfur herd. These horses are a historical herd. They're not you know, just the common Mustang that were inbred with other horses that ranchers or pioneers or whoever let out or, or lost over the years. He'd like to see the sulfur herd area designated as a wild horse and burrow range, managed to protect the horses. But until then, he says there is a dedicated group of sulfur enthusiasts that help get the word out and arrange adoptions. I think there will be more interest as times go on in the sulfur horses and probably get, you know, more popularity with more publicity and stuff like that. And that's kind of what I've tried to do for about 30 years now. The issue of wild horse management is contentious in the West, and Schultz cautions that he's no expert on rangeland health. But he does agree with Robidoux that the sulfurs should be treated differently than your average Mustang. When I look at these horses, I see history running through their veins with every beat of their heart. I mean, it's a history of 20,000 years of roaming the Iberian continent, of being captured, of put on sailing ship, galleons and guns and white sails and Spanish crosses, and in a hold, a dark hold for three months while they bob at sea, given minimal food and water, only to be turned out on the green pastures of Southern California, where they must have felt like they've gone to horse heaven, to be left on the range, to be stolen by the Native Americans to be trekked across America on the old Spanish trail and to where they're at now after 20,000 years of freedom, 300, 400 years worth of captivity. These aren't feral horses. They are horses that were wild by nature. The average cost of keeping a roof over your head in Utah's metro areas is a lot more than it used to be, if you're renting. Mark Richardson at Public News Service reports. A recent University of Utah study found that rental prices in the state's major cities increased faster in the past two years than they did over the entire prior decade. 
Dijon Eskich, a research fellow at the Kim C. Gardner Policy Institute, says rising home prices have pushed many Utahns into the rental market, increasing demand and driving up leasing costs. Prior to COVID, about 49% of households statewide could not qualify for the median priced home. They were priced out, basically, where at the end of the second quarter this year, we're up to like 78%. Eskic says between 2010 and 2020, rental rates in the Salt Lake City area increased by about 2.5% a year. But in the last two years, those rates jumped to about 10.5% per year. That means a two-bedroom apartment that cost $983 a month in 2010 now cost more than $1,600, a 64% increase. Two years into the pandemic, the report found that more than two-thirds of Utah households could not afford a medium-priced home. Tara Rollins with the Utah Housing Coalition says the prevalence of national corporate landlords in Utah has changed the nature of the rental market. Housing is no longer just a shelter or an investment for a mom and pop. It is a portfolio, and so every year that portfolio has performed better and better and better. Rollins says policymakers need to develop programs to assist Utahns, particularly workers in lower-wage tourism and service jobs. It would also help to create incentives that bring more locally-based investors into the rental market in hopes those landlords would have a bigger stake in community building. I'm all about stabilizing people in their housing because right now, at this point, if you have a roof over your head, you really want to keep that roof over your head. I'm Mark Richardson. Find our eight trust indicators for transparency and accuracy at publicnewsservice.org. And that's the KZMU News for Thursday, September 29th. Get your community power journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.